Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, Thanks again for being here. Uh, We're really excited this week because uh, Pastor Brian is getting a much-needed couple-week vacation, uh, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, just to be clear, we're happy he's getting rest, not that he's gone, okay? (laughs) Just in case that gets back to him, right? So as we get started, uh, years ago, there was a book written by a guy named Charles J. Sykes called 50 Rules Kids Won't Learn in School. And funny enough, this gets attributed to Bill Gates uh, often, and you'll see why in a little bit. But this book gives 50 life lessons about uh, the real world that kids um, won't learn in school. And I want to give you the first 10 because I think these are incredible. Uh, Rule number one, life is not fair. Get used to it. That's a pretty important one. Uh, Rule number two, the world won't care about your self-esteem. The, wor- the world will expect you to accomplish something before you feel good about yourself. Okay? Rule number three, if you think your teacher's tough, wait till you get a boss. I've had that boss. Right? Rule number four, I love this one. Flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Five, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault, so don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. Number six, before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are now. (laughs) They got that way from paying your bills, cleaning your clothes, and listening to you talk about how cool you are. So before you save the rainforest from the parasites of your parents' generation, try delousing your own closet. Rule number seven, your school may have done away with winners and losers, but life has not. In some schools, they have abolished failing grades, and they'll give you as many times as you want to get the right answer. This doesn't bear the slightest resemblance to anything in real life. Rule number eight, life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Rule number nine, television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. That might be a little different now that there's a lot of working from home. And the last one, rule number 10, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one, right? Oh, a lot of nerds in the, in the congregation. There you go. Right? That's, that's awesome, right? How true is that? I think that's certainly a, a wake-up call and maybe um, a reality check that a lot of people need right now. Well, we're talking about work today, and some of you might be retired or maybe you stay at home, and so I want to encourage you, don't check out too quickly. Uh, a couple of the points that I'm going to make this morning do pertain uh, specifically to paid employment, but uh, there are other types of work, and there's something in this for everyone, no matter what you're doing. And in my experience, this can be a fairly tricky topic because I think a lot of people aren't sure what to do with their work life. Uh, for instance, do you ever sit at work or sit at home um, and look around and wonder, wonder does, does this mean anything? 
Does, is there any real significance in what I'm doing? And I ask this because I've had several conversations, multiple people um, that are almost embarrassed by their vocation uh, because they don't think it has any real meaning. Like, all I'm really doing is selling widgets, or all I'm really doing is punching numbers into a computer. It doesn't really have any significance. My job doesn't really matter. And I think people look at pastors and missionaries and think uh, they have so much more impact and importance in the grand scheme of things. So why even try? Why even work hard whenever it doesn't really matter? But that couldn't be further from the truth. And this lack of direction, this lack of purpose or meaning or significance um, leads to all sorts of unhealthy thinking. A global Gallup poll was uncovered that um, out of the world's one billion full-time workers, a billion full-time workers, only 15% of people are engaged at work. That means an astronomical 85% of people are unhappy in their jobs. I mean, those are huge numbers. And if you say, well, I can have joy at home and on the weekends and at church and when I'm on vacation, but, but I can't have joy in my work. I can't have joy on the job. Well, you've nearly cut out half of your life. And if we want our work to have meaning and significance and have joy in our work, we have to approach it atypically. Now, you don't have to raise your hand because... Maybe your boss attends here too. But how many of you are, are unhappy in your job? Right? I'm, I'm incredibly, I, I see some of these, like the little half hand. But I'm incredibly blessed in my job right now. Um, and frankly, I want to continue working in my job. So you're not going to hear any complaining from me about my current position here. Um, but I can talk to you about a, a previous job I had, uh, just a little funny story I uh, my first day on the job, I knew I was going to have a really rough summer uh, because I was landscaping at a company in Pittsburgh. And uh, my first day, we're ripping out dead bushes and replacing mulch down. And at first glance, that doesn't seem like a big deal. It's not, that's not out of the ordinary. The problem was, again, we were in Pittsburgh, and it was on the side of a mountain. And um, so we, we get up to the top of the, the massive hill, and we hike our way down to where the bushes are. We rip them out. And I look at my boss. I'm like, hey, how are we getting all of the mulch down here that we need? And he kind of chuckles, looks at me. Because I'm thinking, like, hey, where's the crane? Are, are the helicopters coming to, like, drop the mulch in? And uh, it's clearly naive. Um, but we hike all the way back up to the top to where the truck is, and he starts filling a wheelbarrow. And this wheelbarrow is so heavy He's running full speed. It's pulling him full speed down the mountain. And right at the last minute, approximately where we needed all this mulch, he flips the thing over and jumps out of the way and rolls. <laughs> and that's what we did for the next five or so hours. I mean, the man was crazy. So, again, why am I telling you all this? Because if that statistic is true, that 85% of people are just unhappy in their jobs, we need some help. We need some help. And just like God created and has a purpose for sex and community, as we've talked about, God has created and he has a purpose for work. And ultimately, he has a better way of approaching it than we do. So this week and next week, we're looking at why God wants us to work his way and how your work, whatever you do, when done with God, 
has real purpose, has real meaning and significance. Now, sometimes uh, when we read the Bible, we overlook the fact and, um, that, that the people God used to write the Bible were people like you and I that had jobs that worked for a living. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were kings. Some of them were farmers and others were tent makers. But they had jobs. They had to work to earn a living. And so Paul is writing to the people in Thessalonica, but there's a bit of a problem uh, that's going on because they got word that, and we'll talk about this a little bit more um, in a couple weeks, but they got word that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to return. And see, Jesus has already died and he's risen from the grave, but word was he's coming back in person to set some things straight. And the Thessalonians, they, they apparently got really excited because many of them just quit their jobs. And they were living off of the charity of other people. They're like, okay, we're done, God. You, you got this now. We're just waiting for you to come back. And so Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 11 and 12, he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And Paul's like, wait a second, hold up. Let's put the brakes on this for just just a moment. Because while, yes, Jesus is coming back, he's not back yet. And really, we don't know when that's going to happen. So in the meantime, how you approach work is so important. It's important for you, but it's also important for the people around you. So don't just sit, sit around waiting for God to do something. Don't just sit around doing nothing. Get back to work. Go to work. And so the, the first reason that we're going to talk about today, that your work is significant and why God wants uh, this to be a part of our lives, is because it's a necessity. It meets our needs. And I'm not going to belabor this point or spend too much time on it because it's fairly self-evident. But these people were quitting their jobs, but they still had families to feed and provide for. And they're sitting back waiting for Jesus to come and just wasting the time away. But that's not how God views work at all. Uh, Proverbs 12, 11 puts it as simply as possible. It says, a hard worker has plenty of food. A hard worker has plenty of food. When you work, you can provide for your needs. I mean, way back in the Garden of Eden, when God creates Adam and Eve before the apple, before sin enters the world, God has Adam working the land, working to provide for his needs, working with his hands. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves around on the ground. Now, as a quick plug, if you want to hear more about the whole be fruitful and multiply, um, go back to the first two messages in the series. They're, they're quite good. But God created us to do work. See, work is supposed to be life-giving. It's supposed to be fulfilling. But for a lot of us, it's the, the exact opposite of that, isn't it? It just sucks the life right out of us. Many of us have never experienced work that's fulfilling and life-giving. Now, the second reason your work is significant is prosperity, to be able to succeed financially. First uh, Timothy six seventeen and 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, 
nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, we're still talking about the rich here, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I think this is an important one. And there's a lot of confusion about following Jesus and having material wealth. And there's some guilt involved often. Uh, because many people think that if you just believe in Jesus, you'll, you'll become rich and uh, all of your problems are going to disappear. And I would love to take a poll. Like, how many of you, whenever you came to faith, if you came to faith and believe in Jesus, um, all of your problems just disappeared? You're, like, your marriage is fixed. All the family drama went away. You're, you like your job, and your boss isn't as much of a jerk anymore, right? And, and, and all your financial issues uh, have uh, just fixed themselves overnight. The parking spot right up front starts to open up for you all the time. And, I mean, why not? You lost five pounds. I mean... If that's, if that's the case, I need to come to faith more often, right? And this is often called the prosperity gospel, which is, which is just ludicrous, right? But on the other side of that coin, you have the poverty gospel, where a lot of people think that if you just give everything away and you live uh, like the poor, that somehow that makes you uh, more holy. And so you can see the tension here and the, and the guilt that can, that can come whenever you have material wealth. But this passage in 1 Timothy is talking about something completely different. If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and you find yourself blessed financially, God's blessed your hard work. You you don't need to feel bad for that. But when we prioritize the material over the spiritual, that's where we can get into some, some issues. Because when we do that, we can become arrogant and conceited, and we can think ourselves better than other people just be, simply because we have more money than them. And so the idea here is be grateful for what God's blessed you with. Be grateful for it and realize that, that God's blessed you for a reason. And it's not just so you can enjoy life. One of the best things my wife and I did early, early on in our marriage was go through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And uh, one of the things that stood out to me from the very beginning was the idea of um, being good stewards of what God's blessed us with so we can be a blessing to other people. And in that, uh, I remember it to this day, they had uh, examples of people who would just go to a, a restaurant and build a relationship with a, a waitress. And because they were such good stewards of their money, they were able to build that relationship and send her to college without any strings attached. And I, I sat there thinking, oh, man, I, I want to be able to do stuff like that. That's so cool whenever I'm older, um, whenever I grow up, right? But the idea here is be generous in giving toward others. Don't just, don't just store it up and, and hang on to it greedily. He says, be rich in good deeds. Use your wealth and influence to do good things. Be godly with your money. And he says, when we approach prosperity that way, he says, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That there is something else, there's something more going on here than just just this right now, how we're spending our money. So we should work God's way for our necessities, absolutely, and for prosperity. And God has work for us to do as an expression of our identity, right? Express and exercise how God made me. First Peter 4.10 puts it this way. It says, 
Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And here we, we see how God can use work, uh, no matter what it is, whether it's paid or volunteer, whether it's in an office or if it's at home. God made you with certain gifts and abilities, certain personality traits and desires and motivations. And he wants you to use all of that to serve others. And we could spend all of our time right here. But suffice it to say, it's so important to understand who God made you to be, what unique pieces God put together to create you. And so my encouragement is to spend some time and figure that out. There are a lot of resources online, but just very briefly, I want to give you some questions to ask yourself to, to get you started. First one is, what spiritual gifts has God given you? What spiritual gifts? Like wisdom or knowledge or faith or giving or teaching or serving. What spiritual gifts has God given you? And then on top of those, what abilities has God blessed you with? And maybe it's a hobby that you have. Maybe um, you're good with finances or woodworking, or maybe it's, you're just really good at connecting with people. And many of you are good at crafting and, and working with your hands. What abilities has God given you? How does your personality affect who you are, especially at work? And there's so much work to be done in this arena. Uh, but for now, again, what are your natural tendencies? Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Do you, do you like to charge ahead or do you, do you like to hang back and think for a while? Do you, do you think before you speak or do you speak before you think? There's, there's so many aspects to who God made us to be and what makes us up. But I think very few of us really understand what that is. And then what, what have you been through that God can use? What have you been through that God can use? You've been given a unique life that no one else has lived. And so what, what have you experienced or been through that God can use to help other people? And when you can match your work with how God created you, who God made you to be, incredible things can happen. Now, the last thing for today is maturity. It, it develops my character. It develops our character. Ephesians 2.10 says, for, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so there's the old story, many of you have heard it, of the artist Michelangelo coming across a, a block of marble, and he looks at it, and he said, there's an angel inside waiting to come out. And so that's when he starts chiseling away to, to uh, form this angel. And similarly, God is at work with us. This passage says we are God's workmanship. And he, he uses our, our kids and our spouses to chisel a little bit away, round some of those corners off. Right? He uses our boss and the interactions at work to develop our character, to chisel a little away. And as we let him do that, as we do life with him at work and at home, he develops our character, maturity, and he may allow us to be put into a situation where we have to make a moral decision. Like, do, do I do this thing that I know is a little bit out of bounds, it's a little bit gray, or just to get ahead or get it done, or am I going to do it right the first time? Am, am, am I going to do this thing that, that's kind of a shortcut that I probably shouldn't take just to make my boss happy, or am I going to do the work the, the right way the first time? But the key here is what we've been talking about for over a year now. Are you inviting God into your daily life, moment by moment, acknowledging God's presence at home and at work? 
Like before you go into a meeting, just, just invite God into that moment, into that meeting, right before you go in or before a performance review. Invite God into that conversation, no matter, no matter how that conversation goes. Let me ask you this. Do, how many of you have a work nemesis, right? Don't act like, oh, I see some half hands again, right? Don't act like, uh, there's always at least one, right? There's always one. But before you see that person that you're just like, oh, he's hard to love. Invite God into that moment. Acknowledge God's presence and the fact that he loves that person just as much as he loves you. See, when we're doing life with God, significance happens. Purpose happens. Meaning happens. Yes, you get your needs met. Yes, there's the opportunity for prosperity. But as you work out of your God-given identity and you see your workplace the way God sees your workplace, it's a game changer. It's a whole new ballgame. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. No matter what you're doing, God placed you in your job, your vocation, to represent Jesus. And you may be the only Bible that, that people see and read. They may never pick up a Bible, but they'll, they'll see your life, your speech, your actions, the, the, the attitude that you have at work, your integrity, the quality of your work. Well, they notice a difference between you and the next guy. It's that, that, that old saying, again, if, if all of a sudden they were to outlaw Christianity, would they have enough to convict you at work? And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And because working at something with all your heart, of course, includes uh, your actions and your effort, but it also includes, again, your attitude and your motivation and honesty so tomorrow when you leave the house, if it's to go volunteer somewhere, if it's to go work at a paid job, think, I'm working for you, God. I'm working for you today. Other people may give me assignments, and on the outside, it may look like I'm just selling widgets or punching numbers into uh, a computer. It may look like my job has no real significance, but the reality, the truth is, I'm here working for God. I'm representing Jesus right here. Every interaction I have, every right decision I make, every meeting I go into, every time I uh, am tempted to slack off or have a, have a bad attitude or take a shortcut, but I make the right decision instead, every instance is an opportunity to work for you, God, and to, for my work to have significance no matter what I'm doing. So keep that in mind as you go into work tomorrow morning. Keep it in mind, and you can start to find joy Maybe in a job that you've never felt joy in. Now, next week, uh, Pastor Mike is going to continue this discussion on, on work, but specifically how, how that has significant impact on the people around us and really eternally. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that uh, you give us your word and examples of, of people who are working and struggling. And, um, and God, that we can, we can look at that and, and, and see a better way of doing it. God, that you have a better way of, of life. You have a better way to approach work than we do. And God, we thank you that you walk through that with us. That we're not in it alone. That, that we can rely on you. We can do life with you and experience joy where we've never experienced it before. 
And God, we thank you that we can meet needs, that we can um, just succeed financially. But we, we pray for wisdom as we um, go about our lives, that we're generous with that. And God, help us to figure out who you made us to be and somehow match that up with the work that you have us doing. And see what you do with that. See the incredible things that can happen. God, we're so thankful to be in this life with you. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, everybody, get to work, right? (laughs) Have a good week.